This morning um, ends what is a three-week uh, sermon series called All In. And we've been, uh, basically, over the past two weeks, we've been talking about the beauty and the power of rehearsing God's goodness. And what I mean by that, and, and what we mean by that here at our Southeast Raleigh table, it's when we begin to look at how God has been at work in our lives, when we rehearse God's goodness, when we take stock of how God has been um, moving and working in our lives, that we recognize that when we look back and we see God's faithfulness, it gives us enough courage and faith to also believe that God is going um, to be with us as we move forward. And so the last two weeks have been rehearsing. Rehearsing so that we might feel like whenever God calls us to move, whenever God calls us by faith to be generous and also to vision for this place, that we need not believe that we're going to do that in vain. That we're not doing that on precarious or shaky ground, but that this God who is steadfast, when God calls us into life with God, does not call us into something that is risk-taking to the place that it will hurt us, but risk-taking to the place that it might stretch us. So that's why we can be all in. We're not all in because we have a great tagline. We're not all in because we have great music. We, we're not all in because um, of the preaching. We're not all in because of the spaces that we're in. We're all in by our prayers and our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness because we believe that God's ultimate challenge in our lives is actually worth it enough for us to give everything that we have. Um, you know what it's like to be in a relationship with someone who's a little wishy-washy. It's very hard to give everything to a person who's not able to give you um, everything. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be a one-for-one -one in our relationships with the humans that are in our lives, but we understand um, how difficult it is to lay down our lives when reciprocity doesn't really feel like reciprocity. But the rehearsing of God's goodness is this reminder, oh gosh, it's not just about reciprocity, it's that God's exchange rate in our lives is always better. So this morning, this last morning of our sermon series, All In, I hope you have actually come with a sense of excitement about how God is at work here in our Southeast Raleigh table based on our generosity and also our visioning. And that if you come with a great level of excitement to see how God has been at work in our lives, that you might also have excitement about your personal lives, about how God might be at work within you. That if you can dream big for the church, then what does it look like for you to also dream big in your lives? So this morning, um, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 3 that is just basically going to be a reminder to us as we, some of us, who um, might have giving in our bones as a practice from our very youngest years, or some of us who are actually just learning to lean into the practice of giving of our gifts, or giving of our time, or giving of our visioning capacity. We're going to hear this story in Joshua um, that reminds us that when we come up against obstacles, when we think that there is no way, that we can be all in because God always makes a way. So now let me give you a little bit of um, context uh, for this story. So um, those of you might be familiar with the fact that there was a time when the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt and God brought up this wonderful, mighty leader by the name of Moses to go and basically to negotiate with Pharaoh and to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of captivity. And when um, 
Moses brings the Israelites out of captivity, they find themselves journeying for 40 years in the wilderness, but all the while God tells the Israelites, listen, you're not going to be a wandering people forever. I have brought you out of Egypt, not for you just to sit in the wilderness or in the desert for all eternity, but instead I'm bringing you out of Egypt and you're going to traverse through the wilderness, but I am going to bring you to a promised land where you will know yourself fully loved and fully whole. Now, um, throughout this wilderness journey, there have been lots of ups and downs that the, wilder, that the Israelites have experienced. Moments when they thought they were going to die, moments when they didn't think that they were going to get there, moments even when they began to turn their back on God. But as we sit before this passage of scripture that I'm going to read this morning, the Israelites have finally found themselves in the 40th year and in the right now moment about to cross into the promised land. But then there's an obstacle. But then there's an obstacle. And so I'm going to read now about this obstacle and how the Israelites got through this obstacle. Hear now these words from Joshua chapter 3, beginning with the first verse. I'm going to read the whole, the whole chapter. And the scripture says this. Early in the morning, Joshua rose and set out from Shittim with all the Israelites, and they came to the Jordan. They camped there before crossing over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people... When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place. Follow it so that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, a distance of about 2,000 cubits. Do not come any nearer to it. Then Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. To the priests, Joshua said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on in front of the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went in front of the people. So in essence, the Israelites have now been camping out um, just outside of what the promised land is. And, um, and Joshua is telling the priests that they're going to actually go before the people kind of as a kind of a sign of courage and of faith. And they're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant has been traveling with um, the Israelites throughout those 40 years as a reminder of God's presence among them. So that Ark of the Covenant is kind of like a, a physical, physical or a tangible reminder. Um, to the Israelites of, of who God is and how God journeys. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. You are the one who shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua then said to the Israelites, draw near and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that among you is the living God who without fail will drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Always my favorite places. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is going to pass before you into the Jordan. So now select 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. When the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan flowing from above shall be cut off. 
and they shall stand in a single heap. When the people set out from their tents to cross over the Jordan, the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant were in front of the people. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So when those who bore the Ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still, rising up in a single heap far off at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, while those flowing toward the Sea of the Arabah, the Dead Sea, were wholly cut off. Then the people crossed over opposite Jericho. While all Israel were crossing over on dry ground, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan until the entire nation finished crossing over the Jordan. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your presence. And we thank you for the ways in which you come to be present to us and faithful to us in the hearing and the reading of your word. So might you speak to your people a mighty word? Might you speak to your people a gentle word? Might you speak to your people a word that we would all hear? That these words might rest not only in our hearts, but be made manifest in our lives. That we might be the people that you have called us to be. We ask this, O oh God, in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, I recognize um, how tricky it is sometimes to hear passages of scripture that seem so foreign from our everyday experience. And I recognize how difficult it is whenever you have pastors, even like me, who try to make these comparisons of what happens in scripture way far, far ago, long time ago, um, with what is happening in our lives in the here and now. But this is the thing. I don't think that every single time we hear scripture read that we are supposed to think about for one for one how what is happening in the scripture in that particular moment might actually speak directly to what's happening in our lives. If that were the case, when I was a young child, I would have pushed my parents to live a little more closely by the Levitical law to a stone disobedient sons, also known as my brother. But I know that it's not always a one for one. However, scripture can help us to understand our posture as human beings. Scripture might help us to understand the lens through which we might be able to understand how God is at work. Scripture sometimes even helps us to become more closely intimate with our own humanity. So my story might not look like the widow of Zarephath who finds herself with very little food and wondering if she and her child are going to die. But it might help us to have more compassion whenever we think about our neighbors in Wake County who feel like they're at the point of death and how they're going to feed their child or either put gas in their car. And so that's why we bring um, meals for uh, Thanksgiving. Or when Jesus weeps. No, many of us have never stood in front of a tomb screaming out the name of our friend. However, we can see the humanity that it is okay sometimes for us to weep. There's this beauty about scripture um, that we can understand what it is to be human, what it is to take up a certain posture, what it is to have a particular lens. We have not, we, and I'm talking about us, the collective we, we have not been journeying for 40 years together as a church community. 
Some of you have not even been on this earth for 40 years. All said, for five years, we have known ourselves to be called the Southeast Raleigh Table. But I will say this about this particular passage of scripture, is that I think there is something about the posture of the Israelites in this moment that might help us to also understand how God might want us to live and embody life as a community of faith in this moment. You see, um, for years, the people of God had been wandering in the desert. 40 years to be exact. And um, they have been, though they've complained and they have grumbled and they have gotten upset and there have been some moments when there have been complete meltdowns, they have somehow believed that God has not been lying to them about bringing them to the promised land. Because they continue to follow first Moses and now Joshua which I think is a, a miracle uh, in and of itself that people can actually hold on for that long. I mean, if I told you, hey, let's go take a trip to Fuquay Varina, oh yeah, and by the way, it's gonna actually take us 40 years to get there. At some point in time, you're going to wonder, is your Google map like my Google map? Or you're going to feel some levels of doubt or anger or fear or frustration, or defeat, or you're going to begin to question the very one who is supposed to be guiding you. You brought us out of Egypt, and you were supposed to bring us into the promised land. We didn't know about this 40-year situation. Yet there is this sense, as the Israelites are camped out just beyond Jericho, that the holy unknowing, that the mystery of the wandering in the wilderness has been matched or greater than, excuse me, or less than their understanding and belief in a God who is good to them. That this God who was able to cast a vision of liberation for their lives can be more trusted than wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And so here it is, on this other side of Jericho, that the Israelites have camped out for three days about to go into the promised land. Forty years they've waited for this moment. Forty years they've waited for this moment. Forty years they've waited for this moment. And then there's another obstacle. So what separates the people of Israel, God's people, from the promised land is the River Jordan. Now the River Jordan is, um, it's not like um, our Jordan Lake, <laughs> very different. The River Jordan is an incredibly large mass of water. I mean, incredibly large mass of water. You'll notice that when I was reading scripture um, and I was talking about different cities, it literally, when it would separate, um, there's this sense that it, it is as expansive as like territories. And in particular, the River Jordan, as the Israelites are on the other side of it, it's at its peak or at its height. It says that this is the time of harvest when literally the banks are overflowing. 
So not only is there this massive body of water in front of them, it's also at a time when the, when the water is, um, is at its most powerful and at its greatest in the, an overflow. And I'm in awe of what doesn't happen in this moment. There are no incantations. There are no major vigils. There is no weeping or wailing of gnashing of teeth. There is no, we want Joshua dead. There is no screaming. There is no complaining. There's no protestation. You do not hear that all of Israel began to rumble or grumble against God, which is what the Israelites have done in other moments when they were hungry. They were sick of the, uh, a gluten-filled diet and they wanted meat. They began to grumble against God. But in this moment, when they're in front of this major obstacle, they don't. And maybe it's because the Israelites are familiar with large bodies of water. And they are familiar with large bodies of water being major obstacles for their liberation. I'm going to tell you a little story about the Israelites, just in case you don't know. When the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, when Moses was bringing them out of Egypt and they were on their way, I mean, literally, they are on their way out, you know, peace out to slavery. All of a sudden, they find themselves wedged in between the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army. And in this particular moment, this is how God shows God's faithfulness to the Israelites. It says that God parts the waters, and the Israelites walk through the Red Sea to the other side. In fact, we always tell the story whenever we baptize children or whenever we baptize individuals, we, we are reminded of God's liberative act through water, how the Israelites walked through the Red Sea to get to the other side, and then Pharaoh's army was drowned. God made that happen. It was a beautiful miracle that the Israelites over and over again can tell this story that when we were slaves in Egypt, we crossed through the Red Sea by the power of the Most High God, the one who created the heavens and the earth. But in this particular moment, I want you to hear the difference of what happens. It says that when the priests dipped their feet in the water, that's when the waters literally became a single heap, 7,000 square miles, became a single heap, and they stood, those uh, Levitical priests, in the middle of the River Jordan until the whole assembly, tens of thousands of people, crossed over to the other side. Now, I get this. I have read this passage about 511 times in preparation to preach, but I want you to hear something. It was literally a step of faith. Not incantations, not grumbling, not complaining, not waving something. A single step when their feet dipped in the water, that's what it says, dipped, toe dip, toe dip in the water. That's when the waters became like a single heap. It wasn't they got to the River Jordan and all of a sudden God parted the waters. They had to take a move. For 40 years, they have journeyed. For 40 years, ups and downs. For 40 years, wondering if we're going to make it. And now, three days out. Okay, God, you say all we need to do is just step 
one step in the water. And the waters became a single heap. So when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, the waters flowing from above stood still rising up in a single heap, moving in a direction so that the Israelites could pass. It's not a one for one, this passage in our lives. But it might help us to have a sense of the posture that we might have in this moment. We're not standing in front of a major body of water. But we are standing in a time in history when I believe that the church of God is called not to believe that it is impotent, but that the church of God is called to believe that greater is the one who is in the church than the one who is in the world. And for us to take steps of faith, to not always believe that we've got to beat our chest or do anything grand, but simply that when we just lean in a little, the living God will show to us that the living God is living. So three weeks ago, we asked you to begin to pray and to discern. We have, I have this commitment card in, in front of my hand, in front of me. To pray and discern what, what might a step look like. You alone are not going to make, um, make everything turn on its head. But when we place our gifts, when we believe, okay, God, I'm going to be all in for you. I'm going to believe that when I literally just put my, my toe in the thing that you're up to, that, God, you, you will meet me in that moment and you will show me that you are able to do exceedingly far more than we could ever ask for or imagine. So I'm inviting you this morning. Maybe you already have filled out your commitment card. Maybe you haven't filled out your commitment card. Maybe you need to pray just a little bit longer. Maybe you need to discern what it is that God would want for you to either give or how you can even dream. I mean, even this year, we decided we're going to even put a place where you can write your dreams on the commitment card. Because maybe that's where um, you are able to offer your very best self in this season of your life. But I want you to believe and to trust that your one step has power. Um, as our worship team comes, um, I'm going to invite you, if you have, a commitment card already with you, or... If you look in front of you in your pews, there are commitment cards there. You don't have to fill one out. I just, I'm going to invite you to hold one in your hand if you have access to one. Last Saturday, we had a visioning process. And during that visioning process where there were 60 individuals from our church community who were sitting uh, in Brown Chapel, which was the space that we ever had our first um, worship service at a, as a Southeast Raleigh table, 
we were asked this question, what would you want to be in place here at the Southeast Raleigh table in two years because of our generosity? I'm going to invite you to hold that card if you have one in your hands and I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to reframe the question. What do you believe could be in place here at our Southeast Raleigh table in two years because of your one step? What is it that you dream God might be able to do in and through this community because of your one step? How is it that you believe people might know that they are loved by the living God and redeemed by God's grace because of your one step? Today might not be the day to make a commitment. I actually believe in not making decisions when it comes to our resources, but discerning when it comes to our resources. Today might not be the day for you to write down what is a bold dream that you have for our community. But maybe tomorrow you'll wake up and you'll say, oh, if only that thing were in place. Today might not be the day that you feel able or ready to dip your toes in the water. But thanks be to God for community because we sometimes have others who go before us and they show us and we watch and we understand with grace that you might be inviting us to. God, I think probably one of the greatest lies we've ever been told to ourselves is that what can we do? Over and over and over again, people love to tell us, your people, how we're limited, what doesn't make sense, what might be too difficult, how large we need to be in order for certain things to happen. But God, we know who you are. And we know who you've made us to be. So God, might you remind us of the power that is within us, you. And that when you talk, call us to move on your behalf, that you do so not for our harm, but for us to see that you are the living God. God, remind us as we stand in front of obstacles that if we move forward, that you will be with us, that you will not leave us, that you will not fail us. Help us to believe that it's worth it to be all in. We pray all this in the strong name of your son, Jesus.